ASM, how's it going? Uh, if you are new with us this week, you've somehow stumbled upon our video, a friend invited you to come and watch this with them. Uh, my name is Curtis. I am one of the pastors here at ASM, or Alderwood Student Ministry. Uh, if you're watching this video on your own, that's totally fine. Uh, what I'm gonna ask you to do though is grab a copy of God's Word. You can uh, look it up online, or if you have a physical copy that you can pull out and have there with you, so that you can actually follow along as we're teaching through uh, this passage. Uh, the intention for all of these videos is that you would use them in the context of your small group during our midweek gatherings on Zoom. So hopefully you have had your small group time, now you're gonna watch this as a uh, small group, and then you're gonna move into a time of discussion after the video is over. Thank you so much for gathering with us this week. Now on to our video. What's up, ASM? I'm glad to be with you this week. Whether you're here joining us in the parking lot uh, with high school or you're at home uh, in your small group on Zoom with middle school, we are just stoked to be with you again as we continue in our series, Meant for Good. We're gonna go ahead and pick right back up in our story where we are with Joseph. Uh, if you're looking at the passages that we're at in this week, we are actually in four chapters of the book of Genesis. <laughs> Chapters 42 through, 40, uh, through 45. And what we find is this, is that famine has hit. You remember that famine that Joseph was talking about and told Pharaoh that's what his dreams were about? Well, that famine has hit. Uh, Joseph's brothers uh, also are affected by this famine. And so they go from Canaan to Egypt to buy food so that their family doesn't starve. When they show up, they actually end up in front of Joseph. So his 10 older brothers end up in front of him asking to buy food. This story has come full circle at this point. The only brother that's not there is a brother that Joseph is actually at this point unaware of. It's the only brother in his family that shares both his dad and his mother with him. So he's the only full-blooded brother. The rest of them, like Harry Potter, are mudbloods, right? And so they don't share full blood with him. This is Benjamin, They've, he's never met him. Now, something else that happens is that Joseph immediately upon seeing them recognizes them. And it says that they don't recognize him. Now, this is pretty accurate probably uh, because he looked very Egyptian at this point. He's a high-ranking Egyptian official. The Egyptians actually prided themselves on looking more grand, gorgeous, more having more splendor than the rest of the world. They are at the height of power. And so he probably looks very Egyptian and doesn't look a lot like them anymore. Also, uh, he's 20 years older than the last time they saw him. I want you to think of like, maybe if you saw a picture of your mom and dad at their prom, you looked at their yearbook or something, your dad's wearing that really cool pastel tuxedo, right? Uh, and look at him now. Probably looks pretty different, right? Uh, he also, uh, what we find is that he is, because he knows who they are, he is going to try to get to see his brother that he's never seen. And something ends up happening that's kind of strange. He acts like he doesn't believe them about their family, 
that they've left their dad and their youngest brother back home. And he ends up imprisoning one of these brothers so that he can kind of hold him as collateral while they go bring that other brother that he desires to meet back to him. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things that happen, but through multiple levels of kind of messing with his family and messing with the brothers, he finally does the big reveal. He says, I'm Joseph. Now, I don't know how you would feel at that point, but I imagine that these brothers are probably peeing their pants just a little bit. He is one of the most powerful individuals in the world at this point, and they have severely wronged him. Remember, they sold him into slavery thinking he would probably die. So they're surprised to even see him at all, let alone now he's in a position of extreme authority and power. They think he's going to kill them, but he ends up forgiving them. Genesis 50, which we'll look at next week with Wyatt, has this to say. Joseph tells them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Our big idea this week is this, is that God brings good out of mercy. And you might think, well, mercy is a good thing. But let's be real about how mercy is viewed in our world. We'll get there in a moment. Everyday followers of Jesus are actually marked by mercy. Mercy conceptually means this. It means not getting what you do deserve, not getting what you have earned, not getting punishment that you do deserve. See, mercy sounds good until you have to give it. Mercy is actually not looked highly upon in most of our world. Even the world we live in today, we think like mercy sounds great, but what we're really after most of the time is strict and swift justice. When we see people who have wronged us, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, see people who are wronging us, we want justice. And we want justice all the time until justice knocks on our door, until we've done something wrong. Then we cry like every other human for mercy. See, my kids have this tendency. Uh, if you've met Travis and Cadence, uh, you spent any time with any kids ever, you'll know this is true. My kids have this uh, unhealthy relationship with the word fair. We want things to be fair. See, there's a problem with fair. Is fair sounds good, fair sounds right. Well, he got more time on the iPad than I did, so I want some. That's my kids, right? Oh, he, she got three gummy worms and I only got two. That's not fair. If there's a word that I hate more when it comes out of my kids' mouths, I don't know what it would be. But fair is a terrible word. Because here's what's fair. Justice is fair. Justice is eye for an eye. And in a world where it's eye for an eye, the whole world ends up blind. See, mercy is something far different, something much more difficult to live out. Mercy is actually mentioned in scripture a total of 126 times. That's not counting acts of mercy, but just where the word mercy is mentioned. It's actually far more when you consider merciful acts. It's mentioned 126 times. In the Old Testament, it's mentioned 71 times, mostly in the Psalms. And in the New Testament, it's mentioned 55 times, most of which are in the Gospels or the stories of the life of Jesus. There's a scenario here I want you to think about. I want you to think about, put yourself kind of in Joseph's shoes or your family in Joseph's shoes. Your mom or dad might be, and maybe this hits a little close to home, so I'm sorry for those of you that it does right now, but maybe your mom or dad is out of work in this scenario. 
And you guys are one eviction notice away from losing the house or being kicked out of the apartment or whatever it may be. And there's that one last job interview that's out there. One, there's one remaining that kind of is within the niche or the field that your parents work in. And the interviewer, when they sit down and they go into that room and they, they look across the table, the interviewer, interviewer is somebody that they were unkind to in middle school or high school. What do you think your parents are hoping for? Do you think they're hoping for justice? Because, I mean, in every movie we've watched, this is the moment of poetic justice. Or do you think that they're hoping for mercy? I think you if you knew that scenario, would be hoping for mercy for your family. And how will give you a little word of caution, total side note, be careful. Not just because of what Jesus says, but you may end up working for that kid someday that you're not being too kind to. See, we actually are given this idea of mercy with Jesus in his, his hour of desperation, his hour of need, where justice was not being served. Luke 23, 33 through 34, we find Jesus is about to be nailed to the cross, unjustifiably crucified in a criminal's death. It says this, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. See, justice at that moment is Jesus not on the cross. Justice at that moment is you pay for your sins and I pay for mine. And see, we all think we're deserving of mercy, but the, the, the definition of mercy is the fact that you, it is something you don't deserve. You are not getting what you do deserve. No one who has ever done anything wrong is deserving of mercy. The definition of mercy actually says that that's true. We're not deserving of it. Again, Jesus speaking in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 says this about people who are merciful. He says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. In other words, to the extent that you show mercy, you will have mercy shown to you. People continually cry out to Jesus as, as they're afflicted in some way in the Gospels. Son of David, have mercy on me. There's this understanding from these people that uh, they have nothing to claim, nothing to cling to, nothing left, and they throw themselves at the mercy of the Son of God because word is spread that this man is merciful. How can we practice mercy? today though. See, Joseph practices mercy as he grasps a much bigger picture. And the bigger picture that Joseph has, the thing that enables him to practice mercy is something that I really want us to understand here is that God is the one who's in control. See, everyday followers of Jesus also have to recognize that God is in control. They're the ones uh, who unwittingly helped fulfill Joseph's dream by selling him into slavery, his brothers. They unwittingly helped God fulfill what his dream was, that one day they would bow down to him. And what do we find in this portion of the narrative? They're bowing down to their brother unknowingly that it's him, 
But how did all that happen? It was a succession of events that started with them mistreating him. And God has been merciful to Joseph. And in Joseph's trust that God is in control, he is also able to be merciful. See, God uses their evil to bring about Joseph's elevation and their need to trust in mercy. We can ultimately be people of mercy because we trust that God is in control. And that's something that Wyatt is going to dive much further into next week with you guys. This idea of God being in control. We call that uh, God's supremacy. At its heart, mercy is a relinquishing of my control and leaving, as we talked about two weeks ago, leaving vengeance and justice up to God. Guys, as we close this week, I want to remind us that our big idea is that God brings good out of mercy. We all want justice, and we should strive for justice. But mercy isn't viewed in a very good light in our world giving mercy to those who have wronged us or wronged others. God brings good out of mercy. As we close, your questions for your small group will be on the screens. It's been good hanging with you guys.